And we're back on the latest edition of Talkin' Troy. This is season three, episode two. I'm Nathan Ackerman. And I'm Amanda Sturgis. Um, we're the sports editors here at Daily Trojan. And we're here with Faith Bonds, who's a sports editor at Annenberg Media. And she's also a football practice beat writer here at Daily Trojan. All right, I want to start off with a little bit of the Utah game last Friday. The, uh, the rumors heading into the weekend were that if USC were to get embarrassed at home by the Utes, Clay Heldon would probably be let go. Obviously, that did not happen. USC came out with the 30-23 to 23 upset. I kind of want to hear what you guys think about Clay Heldon's job security uh, moving, moving forward and whether or not you guys think his seat cooled down a little bit with the win against Utah. Well, I think that Clay Helton's job is still on the line as much as ever. I know he won an award last week, a coaching award, uh, after that Utah upset, but his seat is still hot. If we have a devastation and embarrassment coming up, we're playing some really tough teams in Washington, Notre Dame, coming home uh, with Arizona. There's still a chance for a lot to go wrong this season, and I think that Clay Helton needs to keep, keep his eyes on the prize and not get too comfortable. And I really think the win last week to Utah, it only kind of raised the expectations for Helton, I feel like. He won this award. You know, he's not really off the hook yet. There's really a lot more to prove. But I think that, you know, there's some higher expectations that if they aren't met, it could really um, not bode well for him. And I do agree that the win against Utah certainly raised the expectations for the team. Although I will say that I think with that win, I think Clay Helton's job is at least secure for the next three weeks, and I think, or the next three games, they have a bye week after the Washington game, and I think it'll take them losing at Washington, at Notre Dame, and then at Arizona State in order for Clay Helton's job to be um, threatened as soon as it possibly can, and I do think that a significant percentage of the team is injured right now, and we'll talk you know more about that a little bit further on in the in the in the podcast, but I do think that. Given all the players that are hurt and all the key contributors that have that have gone down this year and are still hurt right now, I do think that does bode well for Clay Helton to keep his job for at least the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so I think in terms of injuries, kind of the one that was most on most people's radar was the early injury to Keaton Slovis. Um, and Slovis was replaced by Matt Fink. And Fink had a really um, good game against Utah, um, came in and led the team to a big win. Um, and Faith here actually on sports scene last week for Annenberg Media, um, she predicted that Fink was one of the Trojans' most underrated players and that if Slovis ever um, left the game that he would step in really well. So Faith, I just kind of wanted to ask you, like, what kind of led you to choose Fink as your most underrated player and like, did he live up to your expectations? Yeah, so Amanda, I don't want to take too much credit for being a prophet or anything, but I totally called it. <laughs> and um, I really, honestly, saw a lot in Fink last year when he stepped in. He had a lot of glimpses of Fink had a lot of glimpses of talent last season when he came in for JT Daniels when he was concussed. Um he even broke his ribs and continued playing and threw for a touchdown last year in a game. So that just shows me a player who's really talented, who knows what he's doing, who follows the playbook and can can flex in different situations. So Keaton is a very, very young player. He didn't even play his first two years in high school. That shows me that he might not have the experience to go up against some of these really good defensive teams. So I thought if Keaton, if something happened to Keaton, which is a very likely possibility, Matt Fink is experienced, he knows the playbook, and he can come in and deliver. So that's why I made that prediction, and it came true. 
Yeah, I do think Matt Fink's experience certainly helped him in the game against the Utes, and I do think his uh, connection playing with Michael Pittman for the last several years definitely helped him out. I will say I'm not quite as sold on Fink yet as I would like to be. I mean, it seemed like, you know, the the game plan for the pretty much the whole game last weekend was just to throw the ball up and hope the receivers come down and make a play, which given given the talent of that of that group, they often did. I mean, his stats were very good, 21 of 30 with you know, upwards of 350 yards, I want to say, and no picks. And so, I mean, you know, he's definitely he's definitely better than probably every other third string in the nation. But I do think playing Fink doesn't definitely give them, you know, an automatic loss against any team that they might play. But I, I will say I think there is st- there is still more to prove as far as Matt Fink goes. And I think he definitely took a took a t- took a nice step towards proving that in the in the Utah game. I agree with you, Nathan, and I think also Fink totally relied on throwing the ball up and hoping someone would catch it, and thankfully USC has a great receiving core, but the UW defense is tough. They're second in the Pac-12 against the pass, only giving up about 213 passing yards, and USC's running game isn't that strong right now, so... Matt Fink, I think he can come in. I think he can get the job done. But this is a really tough defense. USC did play Utah, which is also a tough defense. But he's really going to have to prove himself at UW. His job isn't done. Yeah, and I really think that um, we actually had a column that ran this week by our managing editor, Aiden Berg. And he really talked about how the wide receivers were really like the best position group in the game against Utah. And it was really them who were the deciding factor in that game. Um, and so I'm wondering, Nathan, what you might think about how they might continue this performance, continue to make a big impact, or if you think that Washington's secondary is going to be able to kind of shut them down. Yeah, I think, well, as far as the game plan goes, they need to just keep feeding them the ball. I mean, everybody who's played QB for the for, for SC this year has talked about how their job is made so much easier by the by the talent that they have at wide receiver. And I think, you know, they always they always talk about how my job is a lot easier when I could just you know, like we talked about, throw the ball up and they'll make a play. So I, I definitely think that in order to come out of Washington with a win, they'll need to, they'll, they'll need to stick to that, to that plan and keep on just throwing the ball up. I don't know if it's going to work because Washington's a very good team. I wasn't entirely sold on them given that they lost to Cal at home. But then last week and pretty much every other week of the young season this far, they've looked like one of the best teams in the country. So I think, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely deserving of their, number 17 ranking in the AP poll. And I think, you know, it, it, I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see SC come out of there with a, with a loss. Although, you know, I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see uh, the other way too. And I think in order to come out on top, USC is going to need to utilize their receiving and their passing game, because that's, you know, pretty much the only way I see them competing with some of the top teams in the, in the nation. It's really going to be an apples to apples type of game where USC's offense is just going to have to outplay UW's defense. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And I was also wondering maybe what you guys think because UW is coming off a really strong performance against BYU last weekend. Um, they won 45-19, to and we actually lost to BYU in overtime. So I was wondering, you know, how much do you think that these two games can kind of be compared? Um, how much do you think the – like win against Utah matters in relation to all of this? Um, to answer your question, not a whole lot. I mean, a lot of a lot was made of the fact that, you know, Utah went into Provo and beat them 30-12, to 12, you know, in week one or just a couple of weeks before USC played them. And then obviously, 
you know, SC had lost to them in Provo too. And all the stats offensively on, on both sides of the ball showed that not only did the score show it, but, you know, Utah was in clear control of that game from start to finish, which USC most definitely was not. And then we saw what happened last, last week. Uh, you know, the Trojans didn't really care about that and they won. And I think, you know, the same, the same comparison can be made with Washington, but I think what the last week showed us was that, you know, it's any given weekend, any given team can beat any given team on any, on any given day. And I think, you know, the games against what, – what I've noticed from USC is they tend to play down to their opponents a lot. I really don't think that, you, that BYU is a better team than SC, and I think that, you know, USC partially showed that by beating a team that had beat BYU previously, and I think that there's definitely a solid chance that they do that again. So I wouldn't make too much of a big deal out of uh, Washington beating BYU. I think results do vary week to week, but this is important. This isn't something to just ignore. It shows that USC is not good on the road. Washington went to BYU's home and destroyed them. USC went to BYU's home, played down to them, like you said, and lost. So I think now that USC is traveling to UW, it's really going to have to step up its road game because USC is historically not so good on the road, especially in recent years. And to a team that's of a similar caliber, it's going to really need to step it up and not just um, not just let that get to them and only win when they're in the Coliseum. I agree. I definitely think you're right, and you know, not to not to argue with that too much, but I do think that the that the BYU game was partially a result of uh, Keaton Slovis really not playing a good game at all. He threw three picks, made several bad choices that, you know, ended up in either incompletions or a change of possession to give BYU the ball. And I think a a lot of that, you know, was he was a true freshman playing his first road game. That's a difficult environment for anybody to play in. But I think Fink and his ex, uh, experience playing at USC for the last few years, even if he didn't get into games much as a as a as a backup, I think I think that'll that'll definitely go a long way in helping USC come into a really really tough environment at Husky Stadium and come out with a win. I think another huge component of that is the defense. At BYU, USC didn't have Christian Rector, and now they do. But Elijah Griffin's status is yeah. is questionable. I know you're gonna t- go into injuries for sure, but having those key players is a really big deal for USC. It seems to kind of fall apart at times when certain people are out. And um, Talano Hufanga is also in concussion protocol, so those are some like big losses on defense um, that I think will be like really important in this game. Yeah, I think that'll that'll definitely be tough to overcome with all the injuries, but I do think. The way I kind of see this is kind of make it through one more game because then they have a bye week before they head to South Bend to take on uh, Notre Dame. So I think if they can get through this one game with maybe, you know, maybe some backups, maybe some guys come back to play, I think as long as those guys can come back healthy or at least, you know, somewhat capable of contributing on Saturday, I think, you know, the injury situation will definitely clear up a lot more for the, for the, for the, for the coming weeks and it shouldn't be a lingering issue around this team too much. Yeah, and speaking of like people coming back from injury, I was wondering what you think of maybe what the quarterback situation will be kind of after Keaton's healthy, after he's back. Um, you know, will Helton and Harrell go back to Slovis? Will they um, stick with Fink? Like, and how much does Saturday's performance kind of factor into that? I think, unfortunately that Harold and Helton will choose to go back to Slovis. I No discredit to Slovis's performance. I think he's a great quarterback, but he's just so young. I Once he's ready to go, I really think that Helton and Harold are going to want to get him out there. He's the future for this team, and they're going to want to get him experience against a Notre Dame or an Oregon. Some teams, these, these Pac-12 teams, these 
non-conference teams that are really good, they're going to want him to get exposure and experience, but I think that just sets him up to get injured again. I don't know if he's going to be ready and he'll be more vulnerable after concussion to possibly get another one. Uh, so I think that they should keep thinking, but they won't. Yeah, this is a nice little segue into some of the news we've gotten this past week. On Sunday, we found out that Bryce Young, four-star um, recruit, had flipped his commitment to Alabama. And then just a day later, Jake Garcia, a five-star dual-threat pocket passer, announced he was coming to USC. And I think, and I think it would be foolish of us not to kind of make a com- draw a connection between the two, saying that you know when Bryce Young chose to transfer, it obviously cleared up a lot of the quarterback, um, you know, controversy heading into the next couple couple years. And I think uh, Garcia's arrival definitely. It gives it gives USC a nice problem on their hands because they still have um, you know Keaton Slovis, they still have uh, JT Daniels, they still yeah they still have one more year of Matt Fink left. So I think you know it's USC definitely has, has a has a good problem on their hands, and I think they'll they'll definitely do what they have to do this season to make sure that not not only are they putting the best product on the field in, in uh, 2019, but they're you know making informed uh, choices to keep everybody healthy and everybody contributing at their best levels heading into the next couple of years. Because though uh, Garcia doesn't come until 2021, he'll definitely factor into USC's future plans. And he figures to have an impact on some of, um, you know, whether the quarterbacks, whether the current quarterbacks on the roster are going to stay for the next few years or whether they're going to want to find new homes at different schools too. Yeah. And I think um, Bryce Young's decommitment really spoke a lot about um, USC and kind of the like USC community's perspective of Slovis because I think that, you know, he was a three-star recruit. He wasn't necessarily expected to have the performance that he did coming out of the gate. And so, you know, obviously it was expected that maybe Bryce Young would replace him. But um, I think that maybe that decommitment kind of reflects that Slovis is, has a chance to really be like USC football's guy. I think so too. And it, brings up another question of whether JT Daniels when he's healthy is going where he's going to lay in this in this situation. I mean, I personally predict <laughs> again that Slovis will be the the starter next year that they're going to invest in him for the future, but JT Daniels is only 1 year older than he is. He has 2 years left. Um he's going to take a red shirt for this year, so he actually has 3 more years left. And I I kind of see him possibly transferring, doing something somewhere else because they're going to want to capitalize on Slovis' talents here. Yeah, I think that'll definitely be an interesting storyline to follow. And I think as far as JT goes, there's not a single school in the country, including USC, that wouldn't take their chances on him. So that's definitely something to follow as we get into the next couple of games and the, next, and the rest of the season too. And that'll do it for this episode of Talk in Troy. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, I'm Nathan Ackerman. And I'm Amanda Sturgis. And I'm Faith Bonds. Thank you for having me. We'll talk to you guys next time. Talk and Troy is hosted by Nathan Ackerman and Amanda Sturgis, and it is produced by Aiden Berg, Natalie Bettendorf, Sean Flanley, Eileen Toe, and Tomas Meir.